is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Your Seattle Mariners have a flair for the dramatic. And the ability to, well... Dust off a formula that worked for them in on Sunday in Houston and worked again last night in Oakland. The cardiac kids get up off the mat, find their offense better late than never, and beat the Oakland Athletics in their final at bat. Something that has happened, well, 25 times so far this season, which is the highest rate for any team since 100 years in the American League. It's remarkable what Seattle's continued to do. Yeah, it is. It's a repeat formula. I mean... It's Seahawks asking that they don't win the game of the first inning, don't win the game of the second inning. They somehow find a way to do it in the ninth inning. And when you get this kind of consistency at a tie France, the rest of the lineup, if any of them can also stand up, then they maybe have more and more of a real shot of making the playoffs as we get closer to the end of the year. The closer you get to the end of the season, the more of a, a roll of the dice it becomes, and the better that favors the Mariners. Honestly, like you're staying alive, staying in this chase, the, the longer you stay alive, the less important the question of can they keep it up becomes. Because if you're the Mariners, a lot of statistical indicators point to you that, hey, this, this probably you're out of your depth right now, right? You're not scoring as many runs as teams like Toronto and, and the New York Yankees who are on an incredible hot streak. Your, your pitching is is not as good as the A's pitching has been over the course of this season, though now that, that started to change. And Chris Bassett, who is struck in the, in, in, in the face by a bat of ball, and thankfully he's okay, but he's going to have to undergo surgery to repair facial fractures. It's not Ow. clear if he's going to pitch again. Like all of these sort of things, as it gets to the shortened part of the season, that question of can you sustain this becomes less and less important. And you start to think that maybe things are just going to break right for the Mariners this year. That may, Look, you don't win two two straight games in which you enter the final inning trailing by a run after being unable to score for the bulk of the game. And then all of a sudden Ty France comes up and hits a solo home run to tie it, except he's done it in each of the past two games and you've held on to win and won it in your final at bat. It's really remarkable what they're doing. And, you know, you get a little extra help, too. I mean, the top of the division, the Astros, yeah, they, they clubbed the Mariners like seals on Friday and Saturday. I mean, they're not playing very well against other they baseball teams. like seals? What in the world do you do at the beach? You're not supposed to club seals. Well, it was violent and mean, wasn't it? So, I mean. Well, but that's not how you're tro- supposed to treat a seal, Tell Paul. the Astros that. I mean, that's a, that's what the Astros were doing on Friday and Saturday. It was, it was bullying. And, you know, when... You look at what Oakland has ahead of them, Danny. Like they have a really good chance, Seattle, of catching them. They they play a lot of tough teams the the rest of the way. They they still have to play Chicago. They're going to play a desperate uh um Toronto team with the way that they're playing right now. They have a four game series against New York, plus two multiple series with the Houston Astros. So I I, I don't know if. Oakland's going to be able to pull out of this tailspin because their final stretch is, I think, maybe the toughest in the American League. Yeah, and they, they've been a hot and cold team. I mean, they won 13 in a row early in the season. And 
then you've seen them. What they they started off the season terribly too, didn't they? Get swept by Boston to start the year. They were on fire after trading for Starling Marte. In fact, they were one of the exhibits about why the Mariners should have made flat out additions instead of the kind of changes and adjustments Seattle made. Because people are looking at it, and, hey, that's that's the kind of boost you get when your when your front office goes out and buys for you. When your front office goes out and flat out acquires someone to say, hey, here's this guy to add to what you already have instead of. Look, I think we all can understand the rationale for adding Abraham Toro, but it came at a cost. It came at a cost of a guy that was a really good relief pitcher for you and someone that was that was a leader. Now, going, I, I think we're far enough down the road to see that the Mariners have bounced back from that and to wonder, like, Kendall Graveman's absent d- doesn't explain why you went 4-9 and nine after the trade, but they've bounced back from that, and they're continuing to play. I just get over Baseball doesn't work like this. Baseball doesn't work where you end up bargaining late in a game and feeling kind of just one time, just one time, Ty France, like where that sort of the pleading of like, maybe let this be the time that this happens to the Mariners, a franchise that has had an awful lot go wrong with it. And then the next night you get into the exact same position. You're trailing one run, entering the final inning, your last licks, Ty France is at the plate again. And all of a sudden, he does exactly what he did the game before, only this time it goes to the opposite field. Here was Ty France tying the game last night. The stretch and the pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball. Into right center field. Back of the ball, Marte to the one. He tracked to the wall. And goodbye, baseball. Ty France does it again. He ties up the ball game with an opposite field home run. Holy smokes, it's the Mariners' three. And the A's three here in the ninth. Ty France did it yesterday in Houston. He tied the ball game of the ninth inning in that one. When you get to that moment of bargaining that you were talking about, do you feel confident? Because I don't. I still don't. Even though they are doing this and have done this so much this season to the degree that, I mean, they're taking the lead in their final at bat more than any team since the 1918 Washington Senators who also were playing in the midst of a pandemic, I would imagine. This is pretty ridiculous. And they keep doing it, and you're wondering why. You know, I mean, pretty sure that the Washington Senators back then at least had Walter Johnson, who was like one of the best pitchers to ever pitch in baseball. <laughs> Mariners don't really have a guy like that. The players that are just picking up the slack, and instead it's, well, you get a single from Abraham Toro. He hit it off the hop. I don't know if you saw that last night. Like it was, some people talk about playing chess instead of checkers. Like Abraham Toro playing a little bit of cricket instead of instead of baseball earlier in the game. Then he gets a single in the ninth inning. Then you have a double by Jake Fraley who hits it over the head. You got runners at second and third, no outs. There's back to back strikeouts, and you've got your your number nine hitter, Jake Bowers, is at the plate. And what does he do? Well, he does a tidy piece of hitting and, and goes the other way on a changeup that had been baffling to first Jared Kelnick and then to Cal Raleigh, and he drives in the what turned out to be the two game-winning runs. Here's Jake Bowers. Here's the set, and the next off on the way, swinging a line drive into left field for a base hit. Toro will score. Fraley running third, heading home, and the throw to the plate is going to be cut off, and two runs are in. Jake Bowers with a two-out, two-run single into left field, and the Mariners now lead the A's. Five to three here in the top of the ninth inning. You know what really makes my confidence wane? Whenever Jared Kelnick strikes out and gets really mad, I'm like, oh no, oh gosh. And then right afterwards, it's Jake Bowers who's who's filling the void and doing 
what so many random Mariners have done over the course of the season, which is just getting a timely hit when it matters. Momentum is of debatable importance in sports. You can have arguments. Ray Roberts firmly believes that momentum is not something that really exists, that it describes an emotion and a reaction to what has occurred, but it's not something that, that carries over and helps you in the next one. And there's no sport where it's harder to, to talk about momentum than baseball because baseball is a series of individual matchups, right? You, you, can, you can be a successful baseball player and have everybody in your clubhouse hate you. Because it doesn't keep you from throwing the ball where it needs to go, and it doesn't keep you from getting the pitches that you need to hit. Like you're you're capable of exceeding on an individual basis. Yet anybody that's watched a team, and over the course of a season, can tell you when there is there is something to chemistry and how players feel about each other. And maybe it's confidence. Maybe instead of momentum, we should be talking about confidence. There's there's a confidence that this team has late in games. That has gone beyond for all of the different times we've cited their record in one run games or said they're 12 and four in extra innings games and you're probably not going to keep that sort of thing up. They're going into the last inning. They're down by one run, whether it's their patience at the plate wearing through a bullpen or getting through relievers or it's just the fact that they don't seem to get flustered and are unflappable in those sort of situations you're pushing past the point of being able to say, "Okay, this is going to wear off if only because the shorter the season gets. The, the less chance there is to actually come back to earth. Yeah, that's true. That is true. They are this. What this is is still somewhat hard to define because, you know, one of the words you just brought up, momentum, clutch is another word that you throw into this conversation too, and you're not really sure you believe any of them, And but, I mean, you need something to explain what's happening, and those two words work. What is this, team? Text in seven ten seven ten Mac and Jack's text line. What what is this team? Is it a team of destiny? Is it a scrappy team? A never say die team? Is it a team that does the little things we don't notice so well that that's provide the baseline? That might be one of the best explanations so far. This is a really good defensive team that usually doesn't beat itself on the bases, makes really smart decisions, is very, very patient at the plate. And yes, they strike out a ton, but they also wear that they they do the little things that people don't realize contribute to wins. Is it a team that is clutch? Look, I, I generally don't believe that there is... Like Kyle Seeger this year has been great with runners scoring position in two outs. I think that over the scope of an entire season, that will usually come down. But we're now 126 games in, and the the time for it to come back to earth is running out. And the closer and closer you get to this being a roll of the dice, the shorter and shorter this season becomes, the less those sort of statistical trends matter or that idea that, hey, this is probably going to cool off. Well, there's only so much time left. And they're, they're, they're two games back of the A's. They're three games back of the, the Boston Red Sox. Right now, they're, they're, they're chasing one of those two wildcard spots, and they continue to lead and out in front of the Toronto Blue Jays that most people look at and say, hey, that Blue Jays team has a much better team. Some text responses to that question. The dark horse, an emotional roller coaster, all of the above. One person just says, ours, almost a playoff team. We are the Mariners, and you better watch out. Ooh, get a, get a little feeling yourself there. How about that? This is the team that you don't sleep on. They're that pesky team that annoys you and clutch when it matters. That that part is a pretty accurate case. Resilient. They are resilient. That certainly is true. 
like the 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 number of injuries that they overcame, especially among their starting pitchers early in the season, the the setbacks that they've suffered. I mean, they get bludgeoned in a three game series in San Diego. They got tattooed the first two games of that series in Houston. And you look up and you're like, well, you know what? They're five and two on this road trip. They've got Chris Flexen on the mound today going up against Cole Irvin, who the Mariners have had a a burr in their backside about ever since he made the comment about you don't ever, nobody should be giving up 10 hits to a team like that in reference to the Mariners. And you come back from this road trip, six and two, six and two in a game back of the Oakland A's. You're considering that one of the more remarkable and successful road trips that you could have hoped for. Yeah, even with what happened on Friday and Saturday. This is a good text, and it, it has to do with something that maybe doesn't get discussed enough. They do hit really well in these situations. Why are they good when it comes to batting against relievers? The best... Because that's best hard to log- quantify. Yeah, the best logical explanation that I can come up with is that they're a patient team, and they wait, they wait teams out. They wait starters out, and they wait relievers out. You think of some of the, the, the tough at-bats that they've had, whether it was J.P. Crawford going through a 10 or 11 pitch at-bat. They, they don't give anything away. They strike out a ton. But on the flip side of that is that they make pitchers work. And whether that is sort of wearing through, that's the best explanation I can come with. Because, look, they're 12-4 and four in extra innings games. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense in this regard. Usually, close games, you're not going to win those games at a higher clip than you win your other games. If, if, you're, if you're a team that wins 60% of your games, it stands to reason you're going to win 60% of your one-run games. Now, the, the Mariners have a really good bullpen, but what have they done that's been successful? And the best I can come up with is they, they are very patient. They, they, don't, they don't let the, the pressure of the situation fluster them out. They don't get over-anxious. They make pitchers continue to work. But even as I'm saying that, I was like, does that explain why Ty France hits a game-tying home run in back-to-back games? Maybe it's Team of Destiny. That luck side of it, considering how unlucky this franchise has been. And you could talk yourself into that? We're due. Yeah. Long overdue, in fact. The the control that they have of the strike zone is probably the, the biggest commonality in both sides of the plate when, when when it comes to pitching and, and when it comes to also just their as you said, ability to draw things out. It is interesting though, because you would think, okay, second time, third time through with a starting pitcher, that's when you're gonna start to get hits. And and that's when your surge is gonna take place. Instead, it's coming against these fireballers, and maybe that's the key. Maybe that's the code is that certain relievers are inconsistent when they come into these situations. It's weird. You know, you're pitching against these guys for the first time, and if they're just sitting back and not swinging at everything, then maybe you got a shot. It's been a lot of fun. It it keeps happening. I don't know how to explain it. I'm along for the ride. It's It's been something else. Stanny and Gallant, it is time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. Football. It's a sport. It is a sport. Sorry, I adjusted my mic there. That was quite the noise. It sounded like a dying uh, animal. It did. Just a little bit. All right, well, we will get right into it. Uh, the Buffalo Bills have some issues going on, guys. 
They had a trainer who was fully vaccinated that tested positive for COVID. The way that the NFL protocol works, anyone that has close contact with someone who's tested positive and is unvaccinated has to undergo a five-day re-entry process where they have to be away from the team. That means wide receivers Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis, defensive tackle Starlo Delaley, and linebackers A.J. Klein and Matt Milano are all set to be away from the team for five days right now. I think these protocols are just designed to be as close to a mandate as possible, yeah. right? I mean, I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you. Just make it hula hoops, that, and and right. maybe more guys get vaccinated. Right. Of to, of to say, okay, here's here's what happens. If they're vaccinated, they're not in these quarantine periods. Right. Like if they're if they've taken the vaccine, they're not subject to this. You have to they're, test, I think, negative twice over uh, I think forty eight hours or something like that. If you have been vaccinated and test positive. But I, I think it's also that if you're, you have a close contact, I don't think you're immediately thrown out, are you? I, I, I don't know. As far as if you're vaccinated, I don't know. And That's it, what I read earlier. Yeah. You, if you are vaccinated and you have a close contact, you're, still, you're okay. okay. I think they'll, they'll, keep, I think testing they'll keep testing you. you. Yeah. Exactly. But so, yeah, uh, that's very clear. What the, and the NFL's position on this has been fairly clear. And you can, you, you can argue about it all you want. They made it very clear that if you if you're a player who chooses not to get the vaccine, that all of the strict rules from last year are still going to apply to you, and and that's going to create a, a different. It's going to make it hard for you to do your job. There's five dudes that aren't going to be able to practice for five days with with the Bills, and that's not going to cost Cole Beasley his spot in the lineup. It might cost Cam Newton his his chance at a starting job though, because Cam Newton's in that same protocol, and it's very unclear. What exactly chain of events led to him getting there? Because he went out of town, continued to get tested, and when he came back, was basically told, you didn't get tested at the right spots, so you have to go into the the COVID quarantine. I don't like the mandates. I don't. But in football, this is one of those situations where, and, and, and I said this in another sport, when, when you are a teammate, you have a responsibility to the other guys around you to be there, period. And I think it's a little different in this situation. Maybe I'm crazy for <laughs> looking at sports through this prism as opposed to anything else. But if you want to be there and you don't want to cost your team a game by being out while people are just waiting to determine whether or not you are, you know, positive, there's an easy fix to this, even if it is a decision that you're forced to make. I have zero issue with the mandates, and I actually think that employers setting the mandates – and, and also, like, indoor dining and gyms being in, enforcing the question of you have to show proof of vaccination for that. I, I, I think that that is the way that we're going to get out of this. All right, Paul uh, found this sound from 49ers reporter Grant Cohn, who thinks that Kyle Shanahan may have started to slip up and reveal something about his quarterback starter when answering this question. We'll see what you guys think. Do you grade him on a curve a little bit because this isn't quite exactly what Trey Lance can do? Uh, not totally. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. It depends what you mean by grading him. I'm just trying to get him better and get him ready for the. Um, so we try to work on the things to get better at. Hear that pause? So I'm getting ready for the. He's going to say opener. Yeah. I, I look. You're definitely listening a lot into it, and I think it's important to note that we all were duped by the Kyle Shanahan-Chris Sims relationship and some supposed love of Mac Jones. There's a part of me that thinks that Kyle Shanahan is just having some fun. This is his playful way of 
messing around with everybody of being a troll. If that is actually what he's doing, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> but I don't know. Is this is this too elaborate a ruse? Am I putting on a tinfoil hat thinking that he's just messing with people now at this point based off of just a couple of comments like that? I I have no idea because there are so many different things that he could have been ready to say. Trying to get him ready for the day he becomes the starter. Tried to get him ready for next year when we expect him to take over. Like, there's no way once... I I just don't see any clear indication that he was going to say he's going to be the starter in week one to think that, oh, you caught him. You caught him. <laughs> that could mean any number of things. 17-game season. What happens at the end? It does feel like the odds are very much against Garoppolo being able to hold off Trey Lance for 17 weeks. If only because he's not going to stay healthy. Right. And then his level of play. I mean, what are the odds that we get to a point where Garoppolo has a bad couple of games? That is going to be one very, very noisy city and area if he struggles even in the slightest. If you're 2-2, two and two, you're going to have people howling to yeah. put Trey Lance in there. Oh, yeah. If you're 2-2, two and two, people are going to be howling for Trey Lance. And that's not a terrible start. Imagine if it's 1-3. and three. Speaking of terrible starts, uh, <laughs> people are already questioning Urban Meyer and Daryl Bevel's competence uh, in, in their offense after just things looking rough so far for Trevor Lawrence in that offense. Here is Chris Canty on ESPN Radio. Looking at the offensive line and their inability to be able to protect Trevor Lawrence and the lack of creativity when it comes to some of the play calling, I, I just... I, I, not only do I wonder whether or not Irvin Meyer can be successful, but I wonder if they're going to be able to protect Trevor Lawrence and keep that guy mm. healthy all year long. Not- like, that's my biggest concern because, I mean, I feel like based on him being put at risk as many times as he was last night, being outside of the pocket and taking some of those hits, I, I, I don't think that that's a brand of football that's going to lend itself to him being able to be at his best. I've got a lot of questions about Urban Meyer. One of those questions is not whether or not he's going to be able to scheme up enough in the NFL, right? Like, that idea of him getting the ball to running backs or to people in space, like, he's one with a lot of different kinds of quarterbacks. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, so of all the different things, the question about the offensive line, Morris shared a clip. It was from Warren Sharp that showed... Uh, their their left Jacksonville's left tackle getting a two hand shove in the chest by Marcus Davenport. He's a pretty good player, first round pick, but he just shoves him in the chest and the left tackle falls down, like falls on his butt. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen that from an NFL left tackle where it did not. This was not a some sort of incredible bull. Like he shoved him, and the dude the dude toppled. So maybe the offensive line is people are overreacting to the the scheme issue in Jacksonville. I think we need to give bonks to a lot of the hot takes that are being thrown out about the preseason. I am exactly with you. Any failure by Urban Meyer will entirely be because of his relationship with players. The odds of it being over football when that guy has been as successful as he has been at Bowling Green and at Utah. I mean, come on, guys. Let's. Let's settle. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, we also, oh, Ben Roethlisberger threw a successful pump fake. He's back. Does that mean he's going to be good in week 17? You know, people are overreacting to that. What did we have with Jameis Winston last night, too? That same Jameis thing. Zach Wilson also. People yeah. are freaking out about him. I'm like, it's still the Jets. Yes. Maura, Cam Newton, 
we like seeing Cam Newton do well in that preseason game, and obviously there are some questions about him, but it's the preseason. Let's 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 tone it down. I get it. Football's around the corner, but bonk, you guys are way too, you know? Calm down. Uh, Ice bucket. I like that. <laughs> Ice bucket challenge for all of the, the, coron- the preseason coronations that have taken place. It's Danny Gallant. We'll tell you what else you should be overlooking from this preseason. Forget about any other opinions that we have to tell you to forget. That's next. Go deeper on the sea. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We're talking about all of the different storylines that have been propped up, had air blown into them over the past couple weeks. Was it Jameis Winston looked great last night? So much for the Saints quarterback competition, right? Yeah. Urban Meyer looks like someone who wishes he'd never left college football and still had his cushy college, college announcing gig, right? Mm-hmm. What are, What are some of the other some of the other ones? Ben Roethlisberger got in the rejuvenation machine this offseason and it looks just fine again. How about we bring it home? Seahawks defense, two preseason games. Are we feeling great about the back end? Do you want to press no. the panic button and throw a couple first-round picks to get Stephon Gilmore? I don't want to press the panic button, but do I feel great about what I've seen? No. I don't I, either. I don't th- there's not a clear-cut answer about who your starting corners are going to be, and maybe that's even misstating it. Do you feel good about who your starting corners will be? The answer right now, I would no. say, is a decided, like, meh, right? Right. I, DJ I, Reed's been banged up. Akella Witherspoon is the guy that was chasing Jerry Judy across the field on that fourth and five that ended up being a 35-yard gain. It doesn't mm-hmm. look great. If we're looking at it from the perspective without D.J. Reed, I mean, you can't feel good. Until D.J. Reed's back out there, and you know who knows how you know, much of an issue this groin injury that he's dealing with is. I mean, it kept you know similar injury kept Jamal Adams out for a month. So that, that does make me a little bit nervous. I'm glad that they're playing it safe. But I guess that's one of those ones where – no one's really preaching panic, but it's preseason news that is at least noticeable and perhaps applicable to the regular season. But outside of that, it, people always want quarterbacks to happen in the preseason. I, I remember this vividly with a sports talk show host that I really respect in Chicago getting super excited about Mitchell Trubisky. And I was like, it's the preseason. Let's let's wait. Let's see what happens. But People are so thirsty, I think, to have that take first. And now the preseason, it just feels so empty compared to what an NFL game is. What if you're a team that doesn't know who its starting quarterback is or that there's some lingering doubt? Take the San Francisco 49ers. Is the preseason important? I think it's more important for San Francisco to get out of it healthy. Than, mm-hmm. than, than necessarily that quarterback conversation. Obviously, you want to get Trey Lance reps, but I think they're one of those teams where they won with Garoppolo. They are win now, right now. But for Denver, mm-hmm. it is important because Denver's trying to figure out their quarterback and they don't know because it's two guys and none of them is really like a, hey, this guy, he's going to be good in years. It's, they probably are. Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater are what they are right now and are what they're going to be right now. There's something to be said for being an extremely boring team in training camp. And this has been a really boring training camp for the Seattle Seahawks. There's still a question about Jamal or D- Dwayne Adams. There was some uncertainty about Jamal Adams signing a contract. Right. But... 
as far as like going day in, day out, what's happening with the roster and who's, I mean, the biggest question I think is how is the cornerback situation going to sort itself out? Do they need another cornerback like Brock Heward's thought? But there's something to be said for having a very boring and very straightforward training camp. If you're San Francisco, I think that you've got to try and sort of walk this delicate line of you want to see how soon you can get Trey Lance to be your starting quarterback. But you've got to do that without completely yanking the rug out from under Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Like yeah. there's, this, there's this sort of tightrope of like we're preparing for Jimmy to be our starter. But at some point, Trey Lance is going to take over there. And whether that's that could be any time in the next 12 months. But I think that we'd all agree at some point at some point in the next 12 months, Trey Lance is going to be your starting quarterback. There's only one situation I can think of where uh, uh, a guy drafted as highly as this ended up kind of spending two years on the bench waiting. And that was Phillip Rivers because Drew Brees had an awesome season. And then they they franchise tagged Drew Brees and brought him back and remained the starter. And, and Rivers spent two years as an understudy. Even Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, Rodgers was too. picked in the 20s, right? Right. So it wasn't he like wasn't. a foregone conclusion. Everyone was like, oh, well, why did he fall? Why did he slip as far as he did? Seattle, what are they doing? They don't want to get anybody hurt. And they, they want to make sure that they're up to speed and, and can hit the ground running in, in, in this year. But if your biggest question is whether Akilla Witherspoon or Trey Brown is going to start at one of your cornerback spots, and that's having most of your roster and everything figured out for you. I'm curious as to what will happen by the end, Danny, because it feels some of these situations where we're being told it's all about competition, but is competition actually taking place? Chicago announced that Justin Fields is going to start preseason game number three, but they also announced that Andy Dalton's their week one starter. Okay, uh, with Trey Lance, we're hearing hints. I don't know if Kyle Shanahan's messing with us. The same thing in New England, too. Bill Belichick's saying, oh, well, competition, but but Cam Newton was the established starter last year. Then he has this mess where he's not aware of COVID protocol, and now all of a sudden his availability is being called into question. And yet, sort of the same way you said with, with Garoppolo and Trey Lance, they seem to want to delicately pull the rug out in a way where it's not going to cause Cam Newton to fall on his face, experience embarrassment, and potentially get salty over the way he's treated. I don't think Belichick cares how salty Cam is. I don't think they found a compassionate bone. Like, that's never been a franchise that errs on the side I, of, of consideration. I, I'm I don't, with you, but I, I think it's slightly different now. It's he's he's got It's not exactly the same cutthroat Bill Belichick the same way that it is. I mean, look at the spending spree they went on this offseason. Yeah, I'm still not buying it, man. Fair enough. Like, I don't know what's happening with Cam from this regard. So, they get the players get days off. They return to practice yesterday, and we get an announcement from the Patriots saying that Cam Newton went to traveled to have a medical uh, evaluation done. He planned to be tested every day while he was gone, so he could maintain like not have to go through the COVID protocols when he returned, but it turns out the tests he got don't meet the NFL's testing requirements. The question I have is, did the Patriots know he was going out of town? And that, that to me seems like there's a little bit of haziness there. And if they did know, did they tell him, Hey, go get tested at these spots. It'll be fine. And then it turned out that the Patriots were wrong and gave him bad advice, which in which case the Patriots can't, can't get mad at him if they told him. But if this is a case of cam deciding he was going to go get looked at and cam arranged for the testing 
And Cam didn't know that the tests he was getting wouldn't meet the NFL requirements, and now he's out of practice for five days. I think you can pretty much kiss Cam's tenure as the as the Patriots' starting quarterback goodbye. Yeah, if if, if he did things without talking to them 100%. But I think it's actually possible that this was yeah. a mess up by the organization. It, things are really confusing right now. I mean, I... I, you have to put together a chart of, wait, wait, okay, so if you don't have the vaccine and you are in contact with somebody that has COVID that has the vaccine but isn't showing symptoms, you're out for five days. Like, it, there are so many different criteria. And I can imagine, too, as far as travel goes, even more so right now because things are dramatically changing on the fly state to state across the country. It is Danny and Gallant. We're going to raise flags. That's coming up next. From the pocket, and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. Time to put a bow on this. Praise, criticism, pandering. Anything you want to do. Maura, let's start off with you. Who's who's getting your flag? Pander! (laughs) Select Pander! I think I'm going to uh, raise a flag for Everson Griffin for, uh, I guess, just uh, owning the fact that he treated Kirk Cousins as, uh, we'll go with booty, because we're not supposed to say the other one, um, on Twitter last year, and now he's got to work with him again, and he says he's going to apologize. I think I would have just gone the my account got hacked route. Yeah. Oh, you didn't see? I posted about it. Someone hacked my account. <laughs> that does seem to be such a commonly used excuse, though. You would have to be, I think, a little bit more creative. Like, add a little flavor to it. Like, where to you. Kirk Cousins, how do you deal with this? He could come in and say sorry. Right? Well, he's he is. Based off of everything we know about him, do you think this would actually bother him? I mean, I, I, I don't think it would. I, I think he is used to this. Kind of response. If I'm Kirk Cousins, though, I'm going to make him twist a little bit. Like, I'm going to look him in his eyes and go, I don't know if I believe you. I, I don't know if you sound sorry. Are you really sorry? Like, wouldn't that be the way? Like, that would actually be the effective way to do it, right? Yes. Because it, it turn it into something you both can laugh about. Or... You like that! You like that! <laughs> there he is. <laughs> or uh, you could do the uh, Gary Gallant... Uh, Apology, which is a form of torture, which is he always used to make me apologize with the British accent, uh, basically to il- alleviate the situation so that people weren't mad at each other. And uh, it usually worked. Oh, so to make everybody laugh about it because yeah. you're having the person who's who's having to apologize in a British accent, it sort of breaks. Yeah, I could see that being a good strategy. I'm sorry, Kirk. Sorry. If I'm cousins, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make him twist. I'm gonna, I'm at least gonna get some laughs out of the whole situation. Like really, like, like you, really, you said I'm cheeks. You said I'm cheeks, but and now, but you didn't mean that. Like what changed now to then? Like what's 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 the difference now? If you are though the quarterback, you have to act like you don't care, don't you have to? You have to you have to show unwavering confidence in the face of. All criticism, and I, I don't know. I, I think he, I, you have to shake his hand and almost 
Cousins might have to put on a braver face than, than Griffin in this situation. Uh, the only thing that I can think of that was similar that happened here was Earl Thomas after Seattle got torched by, by the Rams, and it was kind of a changing of the guard game. I think it was 2017. They ended up. They just got waxed. I think it was like 42 to seven at home. It was brutal. Bobby tried to play, but he had a sore knee, and it was clear, like from the jump, that he wasn't. He 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 wasn't up to it. It wasn't going to be capable. Todd Gurley ran over him, and after the game, and he eventually pulled himself out. After the game, Earl said, "Sort of, hey, I I I think Bobby. I think Bobby was limited. I don't think he could have been able to go. And I think him being out there actually ended up hurting us." It. It wasn't wrong, but it wasn't one of those things players usually say. Um, and I, I was I was there when Earl said that. And then the next thing you see is in the press box, Bobby Wagner had a tweet that said, Hey, Earl, keep my name out of your mouth. Stop being jealous of other people's success. <laughs> and then the next week, everybody asked about it. And Bobby's like, we talked it out. It was fine. I shouldn't have said that. And afterwards, you asked Earl about it. Did you guys talk about it? He's like... I guess, but he feels how he feels. And it was basically like, Bobby was trying to sweep it under the rug, and Earl was kind of saying like, yeah, we said what we said. That's what it was. There's not there's not, not any change about it. If that's how he feels, that's how he feels. It was weird. It was really weird. I think it's always going to be that weird between Griffin and Cousins. Probably, yeah. You never get over something like that. I mean, if this, if this was in our industry, someone told us or said, you're terrible, and all of a sudden he comes up to you and tries to shake your hand. Are you going to feel like anything's different? No. <laughs> I'm going to pander. Yeah. Give me the option. I'm going to pander. I'm going to raise a flag to Ty France. Uh-huh. I'm going to raise a flag for Ty France, who has hit five game tying game tying hits so far this season in, in the later innings. I'm raising a flag to Ty France, who for the second straight day came to the plate in the ninth inning, his team trailing by one, and you're wondering, and you're begging, and you're pleading, and you're like, come on, just one time, just this one time, and it's done it twice in consecutive games with a game-tying home run. I'm going to try to make some sort of obscure French reference every time that Ty France does something. So today's will be... I feel watching Ty France the same way that Don Draper did watching Megan sing the French song Zou Bizou Bizou in uh, the TV show Mad Men. I am very happy whenever I see Ty France at the plate now. Wait, wasn't, wasn't Bizou, Draper Bizou? kind of mortified by that? I, th- I thought that was the, the upshot of that. I think he actually very much loved it. Oh, really? Yes. Hmm. Maybe I afterwards thought... he said otherwise, but no. In the moment, I think he loved it. Um... I will always think, like, I see London, I see France. That relief pitcher is going to cake his pants. <laughs> it's true. The Mariners are really good against relievers this year. I think that's, that was probably the best text that we got all day. All right. Paul, where's your flag? I'm going to throw a flag on Tariq Cohen, a man who uh, lost me a fantasy football championship, but that's not why. I'm going to go and talk about a tweet that he put out, and this had to do with Mitchell Trubisky coming back with the Chicago Bears, getting a surprise, excuse me, with the Buffalo Bills against the Chicago Bears, getting a surprise start on his birthday. Cohen tweeted, if you boo Mitch tomorrow, you a lame and a weirdo. While I understand his sentiment, no. The Mitchell Trubisky era for the Chicago Bears was a reminder that they could have had Patrick Mahomes and a reminder that they could have had Deshaun Watson, and they can never let that go. 
That's not Mitch's fault. It's not. Dude got fired. Dude's got, dude got fired. Nothing personal. It's strictly business. <laughs> this is not a personal booing. This is a, hey, Of course upstairs. it's a personal booing. McCaskey, what's up? And look, I know that the Midwest has its way. I, 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 uh, I actually heckled somebody this weekend, Danny, on my, on my way back to the airport. So this riverboat tour in Milwaukee needed to go underneath a drawbridge. We waited for this boat for about 20 minutes at the drawbridge. And when they got close enough, I just rolled down the window and started going, Boo! Boo! Never come back! To give them the kind of Midwestern hospitality that they want. Booing is therapeutic. And even if it is mean to Mitchell Trubisky, guess what? It's something that you should deserve the right to do as a fan. Also, for his part, good for Mitchell Trubisky because he destroyed the Chicago Bears in that game. He was awesome. So good for Mitch. He was good. He was good. Will Blackman. He's been with the Seahawks a couple of different times. Yes. Longtime NFL pro. He just tweeted out, they're out here sending the unvaccinated to the Night's Watch. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. Yeah, I can can see it. I don't think you can. Once the player gets fired, once the player leaves, if it wasn't his fault, it's not his fault he stunk. He tried his best. He just wasn't very good. He seems like he's a really nice guy, too. And there have been some times where I'm like, man, okay, to get piled on over and over again, where it's not like you're Jamarcus Russell where you don't care. But at the same time, as a fan, as a viewing as a viewing customer, when you see a quarterback who's afraid to throw the football 10 yards downfield and that guy was the third overall pick, it is just a reminder that the guys who are still in charge, they are still in charge. <laughs> and they shouldn't be. Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, it's directed at them, not at Mitch. He's just the collateral damage. Yeah, exactly. He's the conduit. He's the vessel. He's the vessel for the the, the angst. Uh, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank Rashad Penny, as well as Shannon Dreyer, for joining us as guests this morning. Brock Heward and John Clayton, part of our regularly scheduled appearances. Maura Dooley, who keeps everything on the straight and narrow. And he is Paul Gallant, and he will not tolerate a slow riverboat. No, I will not. He is Danny O'Neill, and he believes in France. Oh. Because Ty France has been crushing it of late. Hopefully the Mariners are able to take a two-game sweep of the A's. And the question that I have for the next hour, are the Mariners better than the A's? We'll talk about that and a whole lot more.